There's a quote that says, nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. And that quote is often credited to a guy named Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Most likely it wasn't him that said it. It was probably spoken about him, but there's great wisdom. Nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. We've heard in culture that power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. There's something obvious about the dangers and the effects of power that even secular culture understands its dysfunctional tendencies. But it's inside of Christianity that we find the explanation of the problem of power. An explanation that educates us on two objects that are both corruptible, joining together. And unlike the rules of multiplication, two negatives in this circumstance do not form a positive. In Scripture, we gain knowledge that mankind, you and I, are depraved. We are corrupt, broken, busted by sin. And we are living inside of a broken world. Not that there isn't good inside of us, but that good has been compromised by sin and evil. It's a version of mankind that bends towards self. Selfish we are. And that kind of humanity joins together with the second object, power, authority, position over other people. And inside of those ingredients, you would think, well, what possibly could go wrong? Inevitably, people began to use their status, their power, their authority as a means to satisfy their own egos, to satisfy their own selfishness, their own brokenness, their own flaws. It is a pattern that we have seen continued on this earth since its existence, and we will read in our newspapers in the future of the demise of those who rise with power and fall. But yet, for all of its toxicity, power is still a desire of the human heart. But Jesus, much like he does in every instance in our lives, redefines what power really looks like. And naturally, because it's Jesus, it looks far different than what the world compels power to be. And so today in our series that we have begun called The Lion and the Lamb, we are looking at these paradoxical ideas in Scripture, paradoxical ideas that convey something different than we might rightly believe in our own natural intuition. Concepts that Jesus has redefined by his wisdom and his life that should be emulated by his children. Today that we find that when it comes to power, Jesus shows us that in God's kingdom, weak is strong. And that's our course for today. What is weak is strong. And in that paradox, we will learn that power does not follow the outside-in model of the world where I force upon you something to get from you something, but rather the inside-out nature of a transformative gospel, where power becomes about our ability to choose God over self, mission over moment, and neighbor over need. It's a power that never yields itself to lesser authority or lesser mission. And we'll start today by getting into Scripture as we should. So we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. We'll have it on the screen, but feel free to turn in, the, in your Bibles as well. Let's read this together. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning that I will thwart. 
Where is the one who was wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jesus demands, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jew and a folly to the Gentile. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to your worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what was, is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human, might be, no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let no one boast, that the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so this letter is written by Paul to the church in Corinth. That, that church would be found in modern-day Greece. You can still find the city of Corinth. Uh, it was a very powerful region at the time of his writing. It was a massive port city set on the Mediterranean Sea, right on the Gulf of Corinth. It had powerful means to it. Commercial traffic coming in and out of its harbor, connecting large Roman cities to its sister city, Athens. It had a great reputation for immense power, but that reputation was only matched for its reputation of immense immorality. Corinth was known for its debauchery. In fact, the word Corinthian in that time was used symbolically for immorality. To be a Corinthian would be to be immoral. So, and we can surmise in the length of time that Paul stayed in the area of Corinth, of the transformative work that he had to do in their lives to get them to a Christ-centered worldview. Paul spends more time with this church in this city than any other church in the New Testament. He's there for 18 months at a, couple house, a couple's house named Aquila and Priscilla. And when we read this letter in his absence, we understand what he was fighting against when he was there. The wisdom and the power of the world as exemplified in the immorality and the self-seeking nature in the Corinthians and that of the power and the wisdom of Christ. And so when he writes that for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but, it, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The idea that power could come through death was unheard of, laughable in the Roman culture, in Corinthian culture. Even today, the thought that there is power in death is something that we are not acquainted with. You see, power, much like today in the Roman world, was about strength and will and intellect, victory, title, position. Historian Garrett Fagan summarizes how the Roman culture, the culture that was encountered by the early church, in, in viewed the values of power, people, and weakness. This is what he wrote. He said, ideas of universal human dignity were almost but non-existent. And large swaths of the population were seen as 
inherently worthless. Weak members of society were objects not of compassion, but of hate. Most, more than most, Romans lionized strength over weakness, victory over defeat, dominion over obedience. Losers paid a harsh price and got what they deserved. And resistors were ruthlessly handled. Roman politics became a ruthless game of total winners and abject losers. The drive to dominate and not to be forced to bow down before a rival was paramount. This was power. Strength in the Roman culture, the culture that Christ came into. But out of that culture, a different kind of power would come to be known. The most powerful force in the history of the earth was brought to pass, not by one single ounce of force, but rather by the humiliating death of God on the cross. That through one man, Christ, one man, Christ, we might gain power, authority that is unmatched in the physical world, a power to change hearts and minds of those who see the cross and trust in its meaning and significance, who surrender to its understanding. There has never been a more powerful tool in the history of the world than the cross of Christ. Because it redefined what power was. Power was no longer about title or position or wealth. It wasn't about nobility in birth. But rather, power came to all who willingly gazed upon and admired a God that would come so far to die on a cross for me. Not because I'm worthy, but because he is. Theologian William Barclay writes about this timeless power of the cross. He says this. He says, Christianity has made people who were things. And when we say things, we're talking about slavery. We're talking about oppressed women in the Roman culture, in cultures gone past, who have made things into real men and women, more into sons and daughters of God. He gave those who had no respect their self-respect. It gave those who had no life, life eternal. It told men, even if they did not matter to other men, they still mattered intensely to God. It told men who in the eyes of the world were worthless than the eyes of God that they were worth the death of his only son. Christianity was and is the most uplifting thing in the whole universe. The cross has seen dead men walk, blind men see, and the same power that is found in the cross is known in the life and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He exemplified what power would look like for all of us who trust in his name for salvation. Paul writes in this letter that Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. And so I want to spend some time on that phrase, Christ, the power of God. What was so powerful about Jesus? We, we know that at the moment he could snap his fingers, he had access to power that could heal the lame, the sick, the busted, the blind. He could control weather. He could multiply food. He could walk on water. Even the power to give and take his own life. He had the authority over death. We see in Scripture time and time again, Jesus, with immense power, 
we quickly realize that we're dealing with a power that the likes of mankind has never seen or possessed or experienced. But listen, for all the immensity and power that Jesus was given to him by his Father, he never once used it for himself. He never once used it for his own worldly benefit. Last week, we walked through scenarios where Jesus was given opportunity in his power to gain worldly applause and accolades, but he rejected that allure every single moment. In Jesus, we learn what true power is all about, and it's the same truth that Paul communicates to us in this letter, that power would not be what the world sees it. Power is not by strength, but rather God would use the weak to shame the strong. He would use a kind of power that's not based in position or title, authority, or intellect, but rather virtues of self-denial and death. That is the power of God. And that's not what we want to hear when we think of power in Jesus. Like every one of us in here, like I want the power to walk on water. Give me that power to heal people. That's the kind of power that I want, that limitless, forceful, mysterious, supernatural, superhuman power of Jesus. And certainly that kind of power exists after the resurrection through the Holy Spirit. God does give power to people in their giftings in a season, in his timing for his glory. Uh, I have never healed somebody. I've never seen somebody healed. I have never seen sight restored. I've not seen those gifts and that power lived out well. I've never seen somebody do it authentically. I'd love to see it. I believe that it happens. But listen, that's not the power I'm seeking after. The power I want is the power of the cross, the foolish cross. Listen, the resurrection is what gives us power to live. The Holy Spirit gives us power to live. It instructs us. It teaches us. It convicts us. But listen, it's the power of the cross that helps us die. And that is the power that we need. We need power to die because you at your best is incapable of fixing what's wrong with you. We must die. And that is the power of Christ. That is the power and the wisdom of Christ. You must die to live. Jesus compels it in, in Matthew 10. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And we're not talking about a physical death here. Certainly there are cases where that may apply. But what we're talking about is a death of self. A dying to self. It's dying because I found something better in life than me. I found something better than this world. I have something better than life. And that's what the power of the cross does. It means that we have been given the gift by grace of something better in Christ in eternity than the world or myself could offer me. The cross means forgiveness for my sins that separated me from a holy God. It makes me a son and daughter of God. And it is in that identity that I'm free to practice a different kind of power than what the world compels me. Power that starts with dying. I, I think that we get a better picture by examining some events in Jesus' life. There is no better example of Jesus denying this power, of dying to his ability of, than, than what we find in the Passover feast. 
Jesus exemplifies this weak, denial, death version of power in John 13. This is the famous washing his disciples' feet. It says this in verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hand. That means that Jesus has all authority, all power given to him. And that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. The disciples knew of the immensity of power that Jesus had. After all, they'd seen him perform countless miracles, confound religious scholars of the day. Yet in this moment, Jesus takes the role of a servant. He never relinquishes his power, but he exercises that power in an unexpected way. And after washing his disciples' feet, he said, do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and that is rightly so. Jesus is not making false humility here. Even in this moment, both Jesus and his disciples are fully aware of his power. And then Jesus goes on to say, if I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash each other's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. What makes it possible? What makes Jesus so secure in his power that he's willing to become an undignified servant, washing dirty feet, willfully undignified? Well, we find that answer in the very first verse that we read, where Jesus said that he knew where he came from and knew knew where he was going back to. His powerful position was secured with his Father and the Spirit in heaven in the throne, that freed him up to show his disciples what serving and power was. And listen, that same powerful position is secured for each one of us by the cross. It enables us to live freely on earth. It's redefining who we are, what we want, how we serve. Earthly power to choose something other than ourselves. Because you, without Christ, do not have the power to choose something other than yourself. You would choose you. Jesus shows us a power that begins inside and goes out. As we realize that our value isn't tied to the world, but it's found in Jesus. And that power implies this, that we can take what the world gives us, hear what it says about us, listen to its demands of us, and say, I don't need you. I believe I don't need you. I don't need your position. I don't need your accolades. I don't need your stuff. I don't need your things because I have something in my life that is far more sufficient than what you could bring to me. And I can take it up and I can lay it down whenever I want to because I have a power from a cross that is more than a, than a power in this world could give to me. That is the power Christ. Now, listen, it doesn't mean that we don't accept promotion. It doesn't mean that we don't walk in authority or climb the corporate ladder. It doesn't mean that we don't enjoy our lives. It's just a different mindset. But we live by a different kind of power to live for others and not ourselves. It's living by a power that Jesus shows us, meaning that in our daily lives, we have the power to choose God over self, mission over moment, neighbor over need, Time and time again in Scripture, we see Jesus only concerned with his Father's will, 
only concerned with mission, only concerned with neighbor over and over again. And that is the model of power that we should find true in our lives, that we should find our sufficiency in Christ. You know, last week or this week, our church lost somebody that I was particularly close with. Um, this guy, his name was John Harmon, and he said, kind of back in that area, first service. Uh, he wasn't a flashy guy. He didn't come super early. He didn't say super late. He was social, but you had to catch him. You had to catch him. He was a good man. Many of you knew him, maybe from a military cut. He had always dressed well. He had cowboy boots on. He was just a run-of-the-mill guy. Nothing outwardly special in his appearance or in his stature. But if you got to sit with John and get to know John's story, you'd learn one thing. John was a powerful man. And not earthly powerful. You see, John stepped off an airplane in Vietnam when he was 18 years old. He became a helicopter gunman, a duty that did not see much survival in the war. He saw things that no young man should ever see. He lost friends that were unspeakably close to him. To say it plainly, the war wrecked him. And John came home to the States, and he drank himself into the ground for the better part of three decades. He went through two marriages, had seven kids, all girls. I have two. I have no idea what that would be like. Seven girls. His kids told me that he was mean and he was drunk. But somewhere late in John's life, he began to get a glimpse of a God who had always been there with him, a God that had always loved him. One of his daughters had asked him to come to church, and to her surprise, he came, and he never stopped coming. John found the power of the cross, the power of Jesus. He began to see that life wasn't about him. It wasn't about himself, but rather, it was about Jesus. I don't know if I've ever met a person in my life who so thoroughly examined his heart and mind and life. John saw all the tragedy in his life, all the hurt in his life, all the bad that happened to him that wrecked his life and all of those around him. And he said, wretched fool that I am. He saw that the core issue of life was himself. And he took responsibility for it. And he said, I have sinned. I am responsible. Sure, you could blame the war. Sure, you could blame lots of other things. But John said, I need Jesus. I need something other than me. And he became strong through weakness. I sat with John this past week as he closed out his life. And I saw every one of those seven daughters hold their daddy with love in their language, tears in their eyes. I saw his ex-wives walk into the room and have beautiful, God-ordained conversations about him and them. You see, what was powerful about John was his weakness. It was a surrendering of his self. After John met Jesus, he found strength through weakness to go to every one of his daughters one by one and say, I wasn't what I should have been for you. I have sinned against you, and I have sinned against God. There is no one to blame in this but me. 
And one by one, year by year, through weakness and humility, John cultivated new redemptive relationships with every single one of his kids, grandkids, and ex-wives. And it was at his deathbed that you could see the powerful work of Jesus, his Savior in his life. A work that was accomplished by him laying down his life, his pride, his ego, his preferences, his self. He denied all of those things to live like Jesus. And in it, he redeemed something that was impossible according to the world's standards. And he achieved it through the means of power and weakness, humility, self-denial, an outpouring of an internal power that came from the transformative gospel of Christ. John chose God over self, mission over moment, neighbor over need, more than anyone I've known. And I'm so thankful that I got to walk with him. And I think his life thinks makes me think of this. How, how will you define power in your life? How will you show power in your life? Will you use power to get what you want? Or will you use power like John did to cultivate hope and redemption in the lives of others? I think James, the brother of Jesus, gives us the truest insight on where real power begins. James writes in his letter, James chapter 4, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Make yourself low to be lifted. Become weak to be strong. And we can do all of that because the power of Christ has already determined your value and your worth in Jesus. I'll close by reminding you of the words that we read earlier by the Apostle Paul who, who writes this. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you are wise according to the world's standards. Amen. Not many of you are powerful or of noble birth, but God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. Our power is in the Lord. Our power is in the cross, and it is not on this earth. It comes from the foolish and the weak. It comes through people not of great stature or ability or nobility, but rather people like John Harmon, who realized the foolishness of the world and decided to live as if he, he were in the kingdom of God now. And every one of us have that choice every day the choice to choose what kingdom that we want to live into. The kingdom of this world or the kingdom of God where everything was flipped upside down and weakness was power. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we are stubborn, hard-hearted. We like our stuff. We like our way. We, like us, we treat others in this world as means to our own satisfaction, our own ends. And God, will you just humble us today by your words, by your example, that strength is, in this world is foolishness, and that weakness in your kingdom is strong. And Lord, help us just to lay down our egos. They're so 
much havoc that we've made into our own life, have done in our own lives. Help us to lay down our ego, our self, our preferences, our will, (coughs) and surrender our lives to you. Give us the power to die that we might live. And we pray this through the holy name of Christ our Lord. Amen.